This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. It's Monday time for our Zoomer squad. And now that CARP has landed what will be just the second Toronto mayoral debate, we'll talk about what they need to hear. By the way, it will air as a special edition of Fight Back live on the radio. It'll be streaming and it will also have a live audience next Thursday, October the 13th. Also, John Wright is in today and he's got some fun facts about Thanksgiving coming up also next week, next Monday. So let's get to it. Let me give you the numbers out again. Uh, so you can tell us what is on your mind and what would you like to hear in that debate? 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-744-740. And also another note, as we said earlier, after the squad, I will be talking to Mayor John Tory, mayoral candidate John Tory. So uh, again, if you have questions, give us a shout. Now I would like to welcome John Wright, Executive Vice President of Meru Public Opinion, David Kravitz, Chief Membership Officer of CARP, and Bill Van Gorder, Chief Operating Officer and Chief Policy Officer at CARP. Hey, guys. Hi, Libby. Hi, Libby. Hello. David, let's begin with you. You're sitting right across from me. Oh, I'm looking out the window, and this is the first time in ages that uh, the street hasn't been completely blocked with construction equipment. Oh. Back to normal. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) So what are you uh, expecting to hear or needing to hear from the mayoral candidates next week? Well, there's going to be, because it's CARP, there's going to be a focus on seniors and what are the different candidates um, going to do for the aging population of Toronto. But I would like to put one point out there. There's um, for, uh, 50% of Toronto's population, city of Toronto, not GTA, city, are Zoomers, 45 plus. And 20, uh, 25, 20% are seniors. 65 plus. That's so, so senior it's is still group. 65, really? Okay, well, good well, to know. Well, they're a subset yeah. of the larger group. But I think it's important to point out that a senior in Toronto has really two identities. What do we want as a senior? What do we want as a Torontonian? Um, and I think that the risk for the incumbents, not that I'm predicting an upset, but the risk is that the older you are, the more you can remember when things were better than they are now. And so I think that there's a lot of stored up memory of Toronto being cleaner, Toronto being safer, Toronto being more manageable. And I think some of the dissatisfaction will be around that and not only senior specific issues. Bill. Well, uh, certainly uh, there are two um, topics that really concern uh, older Torontonians these days. One is housing and the other is transportation. And transportation may be the hidden uh, one that the candidates have to look more at uh, focusing on. The older you get, the more you often reply, uh, you re- respond and rely on uh, public transportation and other forms of transportation getting around. And that's a key issue that most of our CART members don't feel is being handled well in the city at the moment. Well, and we just heard John write about another delay for the Eglinton LRT. I know uh, my husband and his cycling buddies have made a rather macabre bet on whether they will live to see that finished. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't surprise anybody who lives even close by it um, <clears throat> that that the announcement's being made. I mean, it's just been a fixture for such a long time. Although I can tell you that out at Avenue Road in Eglinton, a lot of that hoarding has come down over the last month. 
and it sure looks way different. I mean, you go by Yitz's, and it may be vacant, unfortunately, right now, but you can actually see into it. So there seems to be some material progress being made. But I think, you know, the other part of the um, construction in those lanes and in other places around the city have been for cyclists. I mean, if you look at Eglinton Avenue now, <clears throat> just up the street from me, it's narrowed to two lanes, no longer four lanes. It's got bike lanes on either side and boulevards that come out. It's got extended uh, walkways. So, you know, you can see in different parts of the city where it is changing. It's, it's expressing what John Tory's vision is for this city, and that is to have large groups of condominiums or apartments in certain places grouped around a... Um, you know, a transportation system where they can walk to work as at the same time live in the area, bicycle and do those sort of things. So it may be that there's a lot of construction going on, but there seems to be a notion that this is the future and that we're kind of living in that constructed future for the next while anyways. Boy, I'm talking about glass half full optimistic because uh, when I move around the city and I will be asking the mayor about this, my the biggest thing I get is chaos. David. For sure. Well, I, I mean, let's be real. I mean, world hunger will be solved before this Crosstown Expressway mm-hmm. is completed as far as I'm concerned. And I live nearby or used to live right by the area John's talking about. And it's 11 years and counting. Um, so, uh, I, I think that it is chaos. Um, I, uh, you might want to, if I was asking John Tory, I would remind him that when he was a host on CFRB and he had his talk show, he always used to complain, uh, rightly about uncoordinated traffic lights, for example, it drove him nuts. Why do I get a green light? And then a hundred meters later, I get another or a red light and I get a, Hello? <laughs> Nothing's changed. So uh, I think there has been a decline. I'm not putting it at his door. I'm just saying on his watch, the city has uh, re- regressed, whether it's more people, whether it's insolvable problems. He's punted the, tra- the crosslink up to the province. They're building it, not me. Um, but I think that there's a host of problems. And I also think that the seniors population, and I agree with Bill around uh, transit and uh, housing, but I'd also point out that that population is large enough with uh, 500,000 people over the age of 65 living in the city that they are split into different groups that may not agree. Eighty percent of uh, people over 65 already own a home and 80 percent of those homes have no mortgage and their usage of the TTC is uh slightly less than the overall population and their car ownership is slightly more, they're as likely to be infuriated by gridlock as by the TTC. So I think the problems go even deeper. I I agree completely with Bill, but I think there's a lot of different groups, all of them unhappy for slightly different reasons. And uh, David, before we move on to Bill, I mean, I thought it was interesting when you mentioned that, that older people can remember when things were better. And I'm racking my brains thinking, was it really better? Or did we imagine? Uh, oh, yeah, well, that- oh, yeah. Older people always think it was better. My, my, my parents, I mean, that famous when I was your age, you know, dot, yeah. dot, dot. And people always imagine it was better. But objectively, obviously, it was less crowded. The traffic was less of an issue. The crime was lower. The city was famously clean. Clean, I I know. Uh, That I do remember. Toronto used to be called... I think I was a child then. Yes. (laughs) Toronto used to be called New York run by the Swiss, if you can remember. That was the description of Toronto. It was like this pristine, well-oiled machine without a hair out of place. And now it's this kind of chaos. I think your word is is correct, and it, it is true. Funny you should mention New York, because as I was trying to get around the city yesterday, and not going very far, and not going very fast, it reminded me of New York as it was coming out of bankruptcy. Now, I lived and worked in New York for a while, and it it wasn't exactly like this, because it was a very dangerous place. Right. And there were a lot of things that didn't work, but but it suddenly kind of that was uh, like a little twig. Is that, are we headed in that direction? And uh, if we're headed in that direction, people still walk around saying this is the best place in in the world, John. 
Well, they may be less enthusiastic in that view um, nowadays because of, you know, basically the last two and a half years have seen an awful lot of neglect. Um, You know, the city had other priorities looking after its citizens. And so, you know, the maintenance doesn't look great. The construction looks, you know, is everywhere. We have uh, a road patched up and ripped up. I've often thought they should just put zippers down them instead of <laughs> I like that idea. Cave them. But I mean, they, you know, and and then add to that the view that there shouldn't be pesticides used to clean up any of the weeds and there's not enough personnel to go around the city doing all that. I mean, it, it certainly is not the David Crombie, you know, uh, Toronto that it was. But nor should it be. It is a very, very concentrated uh, city in transition. And, you know, moving to the mayoralty debates, um, it'll, it'll be interesting to see what some of the other candidates put forward, but they don't have the responsibility that John Tory has in not only shepherding it through the next number of years, but also, as David pointed out, I mean, we have a growing and aging population that when I make presentations to audiences nowadays and say, look, we're nine years away nine years away from a demographic pressure on the healthcare system and every other part of this country, they, their heads snap up. They don't see it coming. So we tend to focus on those things that are immediate. You know, like the next year we're going to do yeah. this subway and we're going to do that. We're not thinking about the infrastructure and the demands that are going to be there less than a decade from now. And I think it's important that we start getting those issues out on the table. Yeah, well, and we've seen the results of not focusing on on things coming down the pike with the crisis in the healthcare system, right? Um, we've known for years that there were a lot of retirements on the horizon, and uh, uh, what was a shortage to begin with is like hugely exacerbated because of COVID. But you can't blame it all on COVID because if we had been preparing for what we knew about, wouldn't have been this bad. I mean. That is true. an aside, yeah. But, but John John presupposes that there's a coherent strategy and that's uh, just not being <laughs> no, communicated. And if no, only he we doesn't. Were, if, no, if, if we were patient, then we could live through it all. But I'm not aware. I don't discern a coherent strategy. But maybe I'm wrong. Uh, no, I don't. Th- he's he he chimed in. He doesn't see a coherent yeah. strategy. And you mentioned the other candidates, and I've been talking to the other candidates in various venues. And uh, you know, everybody uh, sort of knows what has to be done. But I haven't encountered anyone yet who said, "Well, okay, how are you going to get it done?" We have, by the way. Uh, Bill, we have 40,000 municipal workers, and that represents unfilled positions 12%, but we still have 40,000 well-paid municipal workers. I mean, shouldn't, is, is that not enough? Well, it, it certainly, it certainly should be, uh, it should be enough. And, and one of the things that we've seen in all levels of government, it, it appears over the last couple of years is that, uh, COVID has been an excuse for less activity, less work, less action, less, uh, progress. That may, uh, that probably is, is a generality that's unfair to, to many people, but we've certainly seen, uh, this happen. Things have gone backwards. Things haven't happened. And the excuse has been uh, uh, COVID. And this is one of the things that older Torontonians are, are really noticing. And, and one of the things we're concerned about is they don't seem to be paying much attention to that uh, older uh, vote. As, uh, David uh, had some other statistics that he put together for us at CARP, and one of them shows that combining, you know, from 60, from 50 to 65, that uh, group controls the ballot box. There's, there's, uh, more voters of that age than all the other younger groups, uh, uh, combined. And I'm not hearing anything very much from most of the candidates about being concerned about that seniors vote. And, and, you know, the corollary to that is that if it's an age friendly city, then it's friendly to all ages, not just to, uh, to older. And I'm hoping that the candidates, when we have our, our uh, debates, will start to understand that they've got to speak to that older population because they do vote and uh, they're going to have the sway in this election. Well, they do vote. Uh, not a lot of people altogether vote in municipal elections, which sort of always has me shaking my head because this is really what affects your life day to day in the most concrete way. It's true. And, and, um, 
the seniors vote, quote unquote, is so large that there are pockets within that that really demand attention. I was speaking a moment ago about, well, all the 80% of them own a home and 80% of these homes have, you think of, you know, wealthy boomers, wealthy seniors. Well, there's 135,000 people over the age of 65, 135, who have a household income of less than $40,000. So that's poverty level. So yeah. 135,000. Now, there's others that don't have that poverty level. They're doing just fine. But if you wanted to zero in on who needs the help, there's 135,000 seniors, i.e. they don't have 20, 30, 40 years of don't worry, you'll make some money someday ahead of them, less than $40,000 a year trying to live in Toronto. Hmm. What is What are the answers for them? So I think you've got these relatively large pockets of people around one issue or two issues and hopefully we'll hear something from the candidates on that well again you know for me they all seem to have good intentions they've got some good ideas but i want to see somebody who's going to get it done and it was interesting in one of our other panels so we were talking to some city current city councillors right who basically said, well, um, we're very disappointed in our subcontractors. Or, well, we have a new city manager and we have to make sure that that person performs. But, you know, John Wright, I mean, is that passing the buck? Geez, I don't know. You know, I think you're so right in that we tend to focus on the big governments, the provincial and federal governments, because they seem to be capturing the interest of the national media almost every day. But, you know, this is the the group that manages our day-to-day living in this city. You rightly pointed out, I mean, we've got transportation, we have issues dealing with attainable housing, not just affordable housing, but attainable housing, social supports, um, you know, everything that, that goes into this. And yet we we tend to you know, march off to the polls and vote for the same councillors year after year after year. There isn't, you know, any challenge to term limits or anything like that. And we become very frustrated with what's outside of our front door, but we tend to pay more attention to other levels of government. So I don't think it's necessarily passing the buck. I think the the critical thing is that we just don't, we're not organized enough in our own minds to kind of hold the local politicians' feet to the fire like we do other uh, jurisdictions. Well, yeah, I mean, the the key thing is name recognition. I mean... <laughs> but are we even holding other jurisdictions? I think what I'm seeing creeping upon all levels of government is a tremendous patience and tolerance by the electorate and a culture that doesn't demand accountability. You know, people are camping out in the streets to get a passport and the Fed's paid out $190 million in performance bonuses yes. to its civil servants. And when asked about it, the the spokesman said, well, they we, they hit other targets like uh, diversity. 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 They, they achieved their diversity goals. But the point is they can't execute the basics. I'm not talking about ideological policy differences. I'm talking about the basic blocking and tackling of running a society. We seem to have a sky-high pain threshold as Canadians, whether it's municipal, federal, or provincial, to say, well, you know, the next thing you know, we either don't vote or the same guy gets in, as you point out, Libby. I mean, it, it, it could... It could be a, a rock with the name of the, you know, yeah. <laughs> with the with the name of of the incumbent councillor. They'll get in, and it's interesting that you know when when Doug Ford, with much controversy, split up, he got rid of uh, all those wards. It was just a matter of which part of the ward the incumbent was. It wasn't yeah. a question of was, uh, you know, one better than the other. I right. remember this from my own in St. Paul's. It was just the one, you know, who was, <laughs> who's, who had more, uh, uh, you know, uh, real estate in that ward won. Yeah. And it's extremely, that's what they all say, hard to unseat a, a sitting councillor. So maybe we have no right to complain. 
Well, I don't know. You just keep putting the same team back on the ice. Uh, where's the Stanley Cup, you know? <laughs> well, we have seven, uh, seven wards in Toronto. Yeah. I'm not talking about the GTA here, where uh, there are no incumbents. So I guess we have okay, to see well, what happens. And there, like, there's another thing, in, in my opinion. It's supposed to be nonpartisan. It's not party politics. Well, it's it party politics that gets people elected in those places. Right. So it's a, if it's a left place, it's the NDP working on it. There are liberals like a little liberal machine working on it. So, I mean, it's not as partisan as the other levels, but that's, you know, that's a fiction, John, isn't it? Yeah, it really it really is. Look, I, I think we have to we have to go right back to the very beginning. And that is, you know, where are we headed with this next election? And we don't really have much of a contrast, do we? I mean, we have John Tory, who we're judging his um, what he's done, and he's managed, uh, you know, both in and outside of a pandemic. And who knows, I, you know, if he hadn't been at the helm, I don't know who would have been better to run it. I just don't. But without that kind of challenging view, it does fall on his shoulders to make all of those decisions based on stakeholder input. So having a debate with a group of people who don't really have much of a um, a chance of winning anything for the mayoralty uh, also puts a different kind of pressure on him because he may you know say some things, but he he needs to have that competition in order to do the things that need to be done. So that's where CARP and other stakeholder groups, in fact, become far more important because if there is no official opposition, if there is no vanguard to try and challenge the incumbent, then it is going to be incumbent on, upon CARP and others like it to step up. And this may be the opportunity to do so. Bill? I, I think John makes a, a really good uh, point, and I think that it, part of the problem is that uh, uh, the voting the voting public really don't understand how our system uh, works, and sometimes the politicians themselves don't understand, and uh, they don't give the kind of uh, supervision and direction and policy direction to bureaucrats that they that they should be, and and not taking a hard line, and it means that the bureaucrats end up running the city and end up uh, running it the way they want to do from a job uh, uh, point of view and it makes the uh, it makes the uh, the the politicians ineffective and when they become ineffective the public loses interest when the public loses interest good people uh, decide they're not going to bother running. I mean, who, you know, people who really understand, anybody who knows, uh, any counselors know that their phones are, are ringing off the hook 24 hours a, a day. They've got all kinds of local things that they're, they're dealing with. It's not an easy job to do. And what thanks do they, they get and what support did they get from the, uh, uh, from the city workers to really follow through on the needs of the, uh, uh, of, of the public who are, who are voting. So it's, uh, you know, it, maybe it's time that we got back to a lot more education on exactly how our system works and how it should work. And, and Libby, you made a, made a really good point. Maybe having an opposition party at the municipal level is the way to do it because at least that brings out the other side of issues, uh, these days. And, and if the other side is brought out, it's often coming from someone who's then called a maverick, uh, on council because he's not, uh, or she is not supporting what everybody else is thinking, uh, should, should be done. Uh, I don't remember saying we need an opposition party. (laughs) But uh, before we move to the last few minutes with something more pleasant, David, this, you know, strong mayor powers give him, give the mayor or her, but there's no no real chance of a woman getting the job. Uh, more powers for uh, appointing senior civil service jobs. is, is may, Maybe is that something that can be useful? Well, it'd because- be interesting to know if he privately feels that he has the horses uh, at the administ- senior administrative level. Are the department has, are the people that are carrying out the planning, um, you know, the team he really wants and would it be, would it benefit things to shake it up a bit? I guess there's a new city manager, but there's a lot of, I mean, why are we 
probably decades behind on uh, high tech and AI and smart systems and the other cities have where nowhere who was in charge of that file and do they still have a job. So he may want to shake things up. I hope he does. Okay. Uh, for the last few minutes, uh, John, you have a, a very amusing study on Thanksgiving coming up next Monday. Uh, so Turkey, most people, a majority of people like turkey as the main dish. They prefer the meal to the leftovers. That's not a big surprise. Um, what was uh, the, the most amusing and uh, interesting thing you found there? Well, you know, 75% of Canadians say that they're going to be celebrating Thanksgiving. And I, I guess when I did this poll with, uh, I have to be absolutely transparent with Clubhouse. Right. They're a spice I, company. Well, and I used, I used their product. So I, I gravitated towards it immediately for the gravy. You know, you just rip open the package and you've got it for the turkey. Oh. But uh, I know, I know, but I, I leave it to my mother-in-law because we always go up to the Ottawa Valley where we escape and, and go up there where my wife's family is. And so we get a chance to kind of have you know, not jelly from the tin, but the real cranberry sauce that's made. Oh, uh, cranberry sauce takes like two seconds to make. It's really easy. Well, not not when it's a secret formula passed down by ages and with a <laughs> coven around it so that no one finds out. Um, but but more importantly, I, I thought what was imp- what was critical here was we really haven't had a Thanksgiving for the last couple of years or more. Uh, I, I went to, and I don't mean this on a bad portion, but I went to a celebration of lives this weekend for two of my older cousins who had passed away during uh, COVID. It was the first time we basically had a family reunion anywhere for the last three years. And you got caught up on how many people had moved away and what they were doing, things like that. This will be the first significant opportunity in the last few years to sit around the table. And so knowing how many people like turkey that night as opposed to turkey the next day on their sandwiches how many people you know like to uh have those dishes mixed on their plate 68 percent as opposed to join you know having them separately done 32 percent how many white turkey meat people there are 60 percent versus dark turkey meat. i am a dark turkey meat person so am i but if you need to plan for this auspicious occasion and stop the debates at the table Go to our site, download it, and you'll know exactly where Canadians There's are. There's more white meat on a turkey than dark they, they, meat. They, they even asked about smooth mashed potatoes versus lumpy mashed potatoes. I thought that was the. I'm telling you, yeah, but it, but the big more thing than is, you'd ever want to know in this. It's wonderful. <laughs> yeah, but but it's got to be the the ballot question for this one is butter tarts with raisins or not? Right. Sixty eight percent say raisins. Really? Mm, too sweet. Of course. So uh, is everyone here? I mean, the 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 main thing that I saw that I liked was that so many of us celebrate Thanksgiving. I, I never did till uh, I was, I don't know, I'm trying to remember because I grew up in Quebec. It wasn't a big deal there. There was another election going on today, by the way, in <laughs> Quebec. It's, 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 Quebec is still the least percentage of people that celebrate Thanksgiving, according to this. Right. And, and you know, my parents were immigrants like this. So this was a whole new innovation. And for a while, I lived in the States. And if you think Thanksgiving is big here in the States, it is monster yep. and quite fabulous. Yep. And yeah. And quite late compared and, to ours. Well, yeah, that's, uh, that's because of their weather. <laughs> that's not a bad thing for no, them. No, not at all. Okay, so it is uh, almost time to wrap things up. Let's go around the table and see what you want to leave us with, beginning with Bill. Learn about your uh, local uh, candidates, both your councillors and the and the merited candidates. Listen to the uh, debate that uh, Libby will be hosting on the, the 13th and vote wisely in the upcoming election. Okay. Uh, John, what would you like to leave us with? Well, campaigns matter. And when you don't have uh, strong opposition, then you don't have strong opinions. Um, You're going to have the mayor on. And as I said, stakeholders are going to play a very important role in in talking to the mayor and having these kind of forms. I think what's really important is still understand the local candidate and get out and vote. I suspect that when you don't have a strong mayoralty race, you don't get a lot of people out voting. But it matters the most because when you look out your your door, right in front of you is what 
you know, allows you to operate every single day. And if you're not doing something about it by voting locally, then you can't have much of a beef with it. Okay. Yes. And by the way, uh, we're going to have the mayor on uh, after the next break. And uh, I do want to focus on day-to-day stuff as opposed to the race. But yeah, people, we're we're going to have him on. So uh, we're getting some time with John Tory. David, I'm going to give the last word to you. See if your candidates can tell you what they have in mind, like what do you actually want to do and how are you going to accomplish it? It's too easy to say the right things. We all know nobody's going to be coming out in favor of dirty streets and more crime. So it's easy to say the right things. But do they have any idea how this can be accomplished and which one is more most in the real world? And that's where my vote would go. Well, yeah, that's to me, that's the key. And I, I hate to be pessimistic. I'm not sure any of them can get a lot of these things done, uh, which is, I guess, pretty sad. But anyway, on that note, I I should wrap up on a, a, a positive note. Maybe it's a good time to turn around the elections. In the meantime, thank you so much, David Kravitz, Bill Van Gorder, and John Wright. Thank you, Libby. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye. Uh, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, Mayor John Tory. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. We have been talking about the municipal election and trying to drum up more interest in it, quite frankly. But we also need to talk about the day-to-day aspects of being in the city. And a lot of things, quite frankly, are not working. It's been a while since we had the mayor, also mayoral candidate, John Tory, on the show. So I'd like to welcome him. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure, Libby, as always. Okay, well, I'll tell you one thing that's not a pleasure, and that is getting around the city. People are fed up. It seems really chaotic. There's gridlock, there's construction everywhere with no apparent coordination. There are lanes closed with equipment and no workers in sight. There's broken pavement and speed humps. There's lots of litter. Why do we not have better control of these things? Well, I think it's really more the quantity of construction. I think that we are making big efforts. We've created these construction hubs to coordinate the comings and goings of cement trucks and dump trucks and all those things that go with a growing city. But I think the real, uh, you know, culprit, if there is one that's caused uh, some of what you're talking about, is the amount of construction. And, and I'll divide them into three. I mean, the first is transit construction. You don't build $30 billion worth of transit, which we're finally doing after decades where we weren't building transit. You don't build that transit without disruption, number one. Number two, there is a civil construction. You know, you don't build uh, and have 70,000 people coming to the city of Toronto every year, which is true and not have the obligation to expand the water mains and expand the sewers and things like that. I think people understand that. And we're doing that work, which was postponed for years. And I won't postpone it anymore because it would be irresponsible to do that. And then finally, you have the residential and office construction that's taking place. And again, if there are 70,000 people coming to the city every year, record growth that is in, you know, in, in excess of that taking place in any other city in North America, then you have to have places for them to live and to work. And so those things are being built. And the way Toronto is put together, yes, you do have to come sometimes close lanes of traffic uh, because there is just not the opportunity on these small lots downtown, the way the city was built, uh, to say to people, park your cement trucks or park your uh, trailers on, on the site of the construction. And so I, I, I guess I'm, I'm trying. We, we are all trying our best. Uh, we're doing things like have uh, working until 11 o'clock or working 24 hours a day to get these things finished faster. But when we work till 11 o'clock or 24 hours a day, we get a lot of complaints about the noise. So you can't win. Um, but the good news is this is a growing city. It's going to be continue to be a prosperous city with lots of jobs for young people. We're tackling transit and affordable housing, which causes uh, some construction disarray. And that's just what we're going to keep doing. And we'll try to manage these things as best we can. You know, uh, the construction, the housing construction, uh, the stuff that I pass all the time, which is seems to be just everywhere. Uh, sorry, that's not going to be affordable housing. That's going to be tiny little condos that, that most people cannot 
afford. And I just want to talk about... Uh, well, well last... can I correct you on that, actually? Because uh, that is not correct either. There will be lots of condos that people do own and rent. Uh, and I realize some of those are beyond the reach of some people. But uh, we also have brought in something called inclusionary zoning in the city of Toronto. Uh, and that actually allows us to put an obligation on all developers to make sure that in every development, uh, there is a component, a percentage of affordable housing. And the city itself, has devoted seven billion of the tax dollars of the people listening uh, to uh, take uh, units in buildings, purpose-built rental buildings, in many cases, and make them affordable by, in effect, providing a subsidy uh, to the rent for 99 years or 50 years, depending on the building. So it is not true to say that all the construction you see is oh. all condos for people uh, who can't afford it. Uh, there is affordable housing built into uh, pretty pretty much all of those. Okay. Well, the the proof will be. In the pudding, I, I, I mean, this, this is not about me, but last week I had a day off. I drove my husband right downtown uh, uh, at lunch hour, not at rush hour. So, and presumably this is a space, you know, it's been emptied out for so long, we want to revitalize it. So full of potholes from last winter and the the gridlock and the construction and then coming back i made a bad decision i took uh, university avenue so on one side there was a ton of construction that was bad enough and there was no place for instance for cyclists to go which is also dangerous but on the other side there was this kind of huge flatbed thing that went for blocks that blocked the ambulance like the ambulance couldn't get through i mean is that coordination is this up around Queen's Park? Uh, yeah, it's Hospital Row. Yeah, because, you see, what we're doing at Queen's Park, for example, that's caused there to be construction equipment on the road and so on, is building an elevator to the subway station. Because under the law and because of our moral obligation, we have to put an elevator in every subway station, and some are easier than others to do. And we're going to have that all done by 2025. But, no, that causes disruption. I don't deny that. We had to close the lane of traffic up there in order to do that. And so, you know, for everything that you'll talk about, there's an explanation, and... I've tried to explain just now a minute ago about why there's so much construction happening in the city. And while we're trying to coordinate it as best we can, when you have the quantity of construction, transit, you know, public works construction and residential and business office construction, it is going to be very disruptive. But I think when we get the transit done, um, it'll be more conducive for you to take your husband downtown on the transit, <laughs> which right now I know you might be discouraged from doing because the, the tech transit isn't convenient enough. But we're trying to fix that so people don't have to drive their cars downtown. And that is just part of trying to plan for a 21st century city and 22nd century city by, by putting these things in place. But I'm not saying we're doing everything perfectly by any means. I wouldn't argue that. But I think we're taking a lot of decisions that have to be taken. And we're building the transit finally that was never built. We're building the affordable and supportive housing that hasn't been built. Um, and we're doing those things as quickly as possible because we need to do that in a growing city. Uh I, I want to talk about something that uh, my colleagues at BlogTO uncovered, and and this was from uh, a city councillor candidate, no less. He came across, I'm sure you've heard this story, a speed bump that needed to be fixed. He called 311 and got a message that it would be fixed at exactly 3.18 p.m. in 2026. What's up with that? Well, the automated response system, we've tried to put technology in place there so you can file complaints, uh, you know, through photographs you can send, through emails, and by this automatic response system. That was clearly a mistake. I can tell you, in fact, the repairs were completed on September the 16th of this year, 2022. Oh, really? So, That's you know, good news. You, you can make a big deal of that. And then the fact that technology, when you're bringing it in, new technology sometimes will make a mistake like that. How many people have got, you know, bills from their, you know, gas company that had for a million dollars? And it was a mistake. And so it was a mistake, and I'm sorry for the mistake, but at the end of the day, what's really important is the repairs were completed on September the 16th, and they've also, and that's two days, I believe, from when the call was made, and they've also fixed the technology or tried to fix it so that that kind of thing won't happen again. Uh, what about the the state of, uh, there's a lot of litter around, and I, I I'm in the next segment, we're going to talk about the issue with uh, those garbage disposal bins and, and there's a contract with a private company, but, uh, wh why can't, uh, all city employees be cleaning that up? Well, we've, uh, you know, doubled the number of collections of the waste out of those, uh, garbage cans. And, uh, so in that sense, we're, we're emptying them more frequently, especially in areas that get heavy use. 
I think there are problems with those garbage cans, and I've asked the city to look at a contract that was entered into long before I was there. I think it was 12 years ago. Yeah. Um, to put those cans out of that particular style. I don't think they necessarily work anymore, uh, but we have a contract that says those are the cans we use, and so we have to look at whether there's a way to amend or modify that contract. And in the meantime, you know, continue to increase the frequency of the pickups of the waste from those cans. But, you know, the other thing I'll say, and again, I'm not necessarily saying all things here that are going to win me, you know, popularity contests, but that's okay. You just have to be honest. Um, you know, a lot of this results from human behavior. I mean, the people, the litter didn't find its way to the ground by itself. You know, when it's Tim, you know, I shouldn't say any name, but when it's coffee cups and when it's, you know, pieces of paper people just throw on the ground, and they're throwing them on the ground far away from waste receptacles. So you can't blame the garbage cans for that. The garbage cans have their problems, and I'm looking into those, uh, you know, energetically. But there are just people who go around the city throwing things on the ground, including cigarette butts and chewing gum. And that um, is going to change because people change their behavior, just like speeding. We can have all the automated, uh, automated speed cameras we want, and they do curb bad behavior, but they don't stop bad behavior because the only way to stop bad behavior is for people to stop their own bad behavior. So what do you say to people are are, are pretty uh, fed up? So first of all, how long uh, will it take to to deal with these various issues that just make living in the city quite difficult? Well, I think, first of all, most people think the city is generally on the right track. It's a big, complicated city, and big, complicated cities and fast-growing cities, including Toronto, have big, complicated problems. And so none of them have, you know, instant solutions at hand for some of the big issues that we face. I guess people will have to ask themselves in the context of the election that's on, um, you know, do they want experienced people to try and deal with those as best one can, or do they want to sort of start over again. Uh, but I would say to you that all of these things are things that are under a very active, um, you know, action, which is to say, can we in some way modify the contract about the garbage cans to get better ones? Or can we ask the people that are contracted to produce them? Can they produce different ones that are better for 2022? And you, you can't just phone them up and say, well, change the garbage cans because there is a contract. And, you know, I believe that you have to respect the rule of law in that respect. And so, I would say all of these things, I mean, the transit getting built, it's going to take, we've been very open about that, it's going to take seven or eight years to, to build it at least. But at least we're building it, Libby. And in past, uh, you know, administrations, the transit wasn't getting built. It just didn't get built. It, you know, a government would change and the plan would change and there were big arguments and studies about the plan. We're building $30 billion worth of transit because of a partnership we entered into between the three governments. But it takes eight, ten years to build a huge transit. This is the biggest transit project in North America. It takes time to build those. And so I would just say that uh, some of them are going to happen faster than others, and everything will happen as quickly as it possibly can. But, um, you know, I think anyone who's being honest with you will say that in a big city with big flex problems and a huge city in terms of ge- geography and population, there aren't too many easy instant solutions. Uh, finally, um, we have in Toronto seven wards where there are no incumbents. Uh, we also have uh, some very high-profile councillors who are not running again. Uh, I talk to people who think the reason is that um, they were afraid to take you on. Take me on a council? No, take you on. Take you on as as uh, in the mayor's race. Uh, what am I supposed to say about that? I mean, it's entirely their decision. And in the end, you know what the great thing about this is? That regardless of who took who on and all this kind of thing, the voters get to decide who the mayor will be. And I am humbly putting myself in front of them and saying that I believe now is the time with uncertain times and some of the challenges you've talked about. Now is the time for experienced leadership uh, with the rocky waters we face in terms of the rocky shoals in terms of our you know, finances and the economy, that we need experienced leadership and that we need someone who has been proven to be able to work with those councillors. I would be more worried if you said to me they were, you know, unwilling or unable to work with me at city council. They didn't say that. In fact, the ones that retired, some of them not even of the same point on the political spectrum as me, said that they worked well with me. Uh, Joe Cressy, for example, you know, was, was someone who had a different perspectives on many issues for me, but we were partners during the pandemic and putting on the, on the, um, the, the kind of performance we did as a team that allowed Toronto to have among the best records in dealing with the pandemic. And I'm proud of that. It was a team effort, but I was the leader of the team. So, you know, people will say, I mean, I, I get confronted with a lot of things people have said, including by you today, and that's fine. That, that, wasn't, that wasn't an insult, by the way, that they were afraid to take you on for, uh, you know, a left-wing mayor. Yeah, well, Hardly. whatever. I mean, I don't consider myself left or right. All I want to do is move the city forward, and uh, I want to work with anybody who wants to work with me on the council or anywhere else. 
And we'll see if I get that chance on the 24th of October, because the voters will decide as between the 30 people that are running for mayor who they want. And uh, I'll stand by, of course, and accept with grace whatever that decision is. And uh, on that note, I'll wrap things up and just uh, remind people that uh, a week Thursday on the 13th, uh, you're going to be back here for a debate, a mayoral debate, only the second one. It's going to be at high noon, a special edition of Fight Back. Uh, and we very much look forward to to it. And uh, thank you very much, John Tory. I look forward to it, too. I'll see you there. Bye-bye. OK, see you there. Bye bye. Okay, we are taking another break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about those garbage cans. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Zneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. One of the biggest irritants are those overflowing garbage bins that we were just talking to the mayor about. There are nearly 9,500 garbage disposal units in Toronto, and last year the city received as many as 3,000 calls about overflowing garbage units and over 4,500 complaints about receptacles needing repair. And there was that very interesting story in the Star Today outline that a company owned by Bell Media is actually responsible for providing and maintaining those bins. But surely some of those thousands of city workers can deal with some of the litter. What do you think? Uh, we don't have much time left. 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And now I am joined by Toronto City Hall reporter for the Toronto Star, Ben Spur. Hi, Ben. Hi there. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for coming on. And I think you're on a new beat, correct? Yeah, I was, uh, I've been a transportation reporter at the Star for a while. And a couple of months ago, I switched over to City Hall. Okay, well, um, congratulations on that. So we were just talking to the mayor about this, and he said, well, they're they're trying to deal with the company that has the contract for those things, uh, and there is a contract for those things. But uh, is that a is that a good enough explanation? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's a, it's a tricky and kind of strange situation where the, the, the who's responsible for the bins is a bit of a, um, a, a mixed bag here because the, the city uh, years ago, uh, back in uh, 2007, struck at this deal with Astral, this, this uh, company, this, the division of Bell Media. Uh, and uh, under the, the terms of that deal, uh, Astral would, would uh, install and maintain these uh, garbage bins uh, while uh, earning the right also to put ads on other um, city infrastructure that had installed, like uh, bus shelters and that kind of thing. So the city is not directly responsible for actually installing and, and keeping the bins in good shape, but the city is actually responsible for uh, picking up the litter from from the thing. So exactly what is the cause of these bins and being in rough shape and, and overflowing could be because they're not picked up enough, but there's also other issues like the, the door is not uh, working and then falling off and that trash spill out into the street and stuff. So um, between the, the company and, and the city government, you would hope that uh, they would get their acts together and keep these things in, in, in good shape. Well, yeah, I mean, the mayor was saying there the design doesn't really work. And uh, I would agree with that. Mm-hmm. They have these little kind of, I don't know, what do you call those uh, holes where you throw things little in? Flaps. I mean, yeah. And, and uh, I don't want to touch one of those. They're disgusting. No, exactly. But again, I, exactly what the cause of that is, is 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 a bit of a matter for debate, right? Because arguably, if there were more of these things, um, yeah. th- those kind of tiny holes wouldn't wouldn't matter so much because there'd be you know tons of them on the streets and they wouldn't fill up so quickly. And apparently, it's the city who decides how many and and where they are. So I think there's some questions to be asked about you know whether we have enough of these on the street for a, for a busy city with uh, lots of people walking around looking for a place to throw their trash. Uh, my impression is, uh, frankly, that, you know, through COVID, uh, we have, even though there are a lot of vacancies among city workers, there are 40,000 of them. They are well paid. They are unionized. They made their full salaries through COVID. Uh, I don't think all of them were doing all of their jobs, you know, sometimes through no fault of their own. I mean, surely... 40,000 city employees, like that's enough to at least 
clean up around those bins. Yeah, they, the city says, um, when I asked them about this, they said that sometimes it can be hard for them to get to these bins. There's uh, lots of uh, city road construction that's happening, as, as uh, well, yeah. and lots of other types of construction, which make it kind of hard to, to roll up a, a garbage truck, I guess, to, to this uh, to some of these receptacles. But, um, you know, I think uh, most listeners would, would agree that uh, that's a problem that the city should be able to, to figure out, right, that uh, if they're going to let people put their trash in these bins, then they need to figure out a way to, to access them and, and clean them out uh, frequently enough so that they're not spilling out onto the street. Uh, you know, again, we just talked to the mayor who said he's dealing with it. These are difficult problems. Do you see it that way, that these are difficult problems uh, <laughs> that that, that uh, seem to be so difficult to solve? It's uh, it's difficult to yeah I I understand that you would hope that these aren't overly complicated issues as I say the exact uh, who has jurisdiction over specific problems with the bins is a bit complicated because the city has um, gone this route of, of uh, letting Astral uh, be responsible for installing and maintaining them. Um, and But, you know, the, the story that I wrote today is part of the series that we're running in the Star about um, the way that city, the city of Toronto kind of funds and provides these, these basic city services like, like garbage receptacles. Uh, I think there is a line of criticism that, that um, uh, people are kind of sympathetic to. A lot of people who, who watch City Hall closely, that the city has, um, you know, not funded things properly. This this, this deal with Astro was supposed to, to save the city money. And it did it? Arguably. Well, <laughs> it, it certainly saved the city uh, responsibility of, of paying to install and maintain these things. But if the result is overflowing garbage bins, then I think that's a trade-off that a lot of uh, people in Toronto would probably, you know, uh, question. And it seems to be in line with um, sort of a lot of other kind of issues that have been popping up in, in recent months. You know, we've heard lots of complaints about um, things like uh, water fountains and parks not working, public washrooms and parks not working, um, um, you know, and, and up to more serious issues like, you know, Toronto city-owned uh, community housing literally, you know, falling down around its residents. So I think uh, the series we're running, the star is trying to ask, you know, is, is this the result of years and years of Budgets being really tight at City Hall and, and a kind of reluctance to raise uh, revenue uh, to, to meet the city's needs. And, and therefore, we're kind of trying to pinch some pennies and cut some corners. And is that resulting in, in things like shuttered uh, public washings and, and garbage bins that uh, are, are too full of trash? Or, or is it the result of, uh, we have like 20 seconds left, the re- result of something else uh, and uh, just things not getting done? I'm going to give you the last 20 seconds, Ben. Yeah, I think I think funding is is a big question, but you're right. There are there's some other issues here. Just people uh, in city government maybe not paying close attention to this stuff. This this little, you know, arguably little things, but but things that make a, a real impact on people's daily lives and uh, maybe getting overlooked in all the other responsibilities that the city has. Ben Spur, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. Bye bye. Okay, that's all the time we have. I couldn't take the calls on this, but we'll get to it. Uh, maybe on Free for All Friday, maybe before, maybe on Thursday, our municipal day. Uh, and that's all the time we have for Fight Back for today. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.